A reading from Genesis chapters 1 and 2, beginning at chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat it, you shall for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was about a year ago. Um, actually a year and a couple days ago that we were in the middle of the pandemic lockdown. And it was actually two weeks into the lockdown when I ventured out for the first time to the grocery store post lockdown. I'd already done a bunch of grocery shopping, but then things had really gotten locked down towards the end of March. And so I finally was getting ready to go to the grocery store and I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was kind of silly and fun and a little bit scary, but I got myself all dressed up and posted this photo to Facebook. So when I did this, I had a mask, I had sunglasses, I even had a hood on, and then I put on my hands plastic bags as gloves. And in a way, I thought it was kind of silly or joking, but I also knew we had to take this seriously. But by May, I knew that going to the grocery store was not something to mess with or joke around with. It was deadly serious going to the grocery store. I ended up being the one to go on behalf of my family each time. And here's what I found. I found that it was, it felt like I was entering into a war zone when I would go to the grocery store. Things were empty everywhere. But you know what I had done? I had done a lot of early shopping in late March online. And I began to collect things like we had lentils and we had, uh, grains and rice and barley and all these things that I thought, you know, hey, this will last us a long time. I bought a bunch of extra toilet paper and felt like I was being very wise because I was planning ahead for my family of five, just making sure we had enough. But I was also hoarding. I was hoarding things because I'd seen the scarcity and I was beginning to feel that worry. And actually, every time I went to the grocery store and saw the empty shelves, there was a little bit of trauma, that PTSD, very mildly so, obviously, coming out of a grocery store experience. And it was built around fear and worry and scarcity. And this idea of, I've, I've got to keep for me, I've got to protect my own. It's a mindset that isn't just part of a pandemic or a grocery store that's empty. 
That mindset of worry and of scarcity and of hoarding is something that afflicts us every day. And it's the opposite of what God invites us to through the scriptural narrative and the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. A little over 20 years ago, Old Testament professor Walter Brueggemann wrote an article called The Liturgy of Abundance, The Myth of Scarcity. In the article, he critiques our consumerist mindset, but most of the whole article is talking about how the entire Bible is a liturgy of abundance. And it's describing the God of the Bible and how he acts being completely opposite from that mindset that we have in, a, in an American culture that I don't have enough. And no matter how much you have, it's not enough. No matter how much you've saved, it's not enough. There's never enough in our way of thinking generally. But the Bible invites us to think not of scarcity, but of the abundance that God offers. The beginning of his article, he talks about Genesis 1, um, which we only had a little bit of it read. But Genesis 1 is that great opening to the entire biblical narrative that... Um, that is a liturgical poem. It's a liturgical poem that's talking about who God is and what he has done. It actually follows a rhythm that is like a, a liturgical prayer. Like earlier when we were doing prayers, I said, Lord, in your mercy, and you replied, hear our prayer. It creates a rhythm that in, engages you and me together in worship. Genesis 1 does the same thing with God as the creator and the opening creation narrative. And it's a liturgy a liturgical poem that, that goes like this, God said, and it was so, and God called the thing that he had made, and God saw that it was good. God said something, it was so, he calls it something, and then he sees that it is good. And it was evening and morning the first day. And it continues on like that, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And he called these things plants, and he saw that it was good, and it was evening, and it was morning, the third day. And this rhythm, this rhythm of praise in Genesis 1 is habituating our minds to the God of abundance. And what Genesis 1 is trying to get us to do is to see that God, the God of the Bible is a generous and good God, and it's inviting us to trust him. It's saying, you can trust this God. And it's inviting us to see the creation that we live in and that we are a part of as abundant and flourishing, that there is enough. So Genesis 1 is this liturgy of abundance saying, you can trust God and there is enough. You can trust God and there is enough. And in that sense, Genesis 1 is inviting us to believe that this is true, that our mindset and our live perspective should be, you can trust God and there is enough. Even when circumstances or the culture around us or the voice inside your head says there isn't enough, you don't have enough. The problem is we doubt this and we distrust God and we conclude on our own that there's not enough of whatever it is that we're after. And that's what's called a scarcity mindset. In a video that I'm going to have us watch in just a minute, the Bible Project people who um, put together a whole series of videos that tell the biblical story and some of the great themes in the Bible, they do one on generosity as a theme that they see in the Bible. And their description is of God is a generous host of a party that we're invited to attend and that we are invited through the God, the creator, to enjoy the party that is life. 
as if you're actually invited to a party to to realize there's enough food and there's enough drink and you can just be free to enjoy yourself, enjoy people, enjoy the music, enjoy the setting. But of course we don't live that way. I want us to actually watch this video because I think it's a great setup to the entire series and to the way that we often wrestle with thinking about scarcity and division as opposed to generosity and abundance. Let's watch the video and then we'll come back and talk some more. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. 
And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan, really. Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Hey everyone, um, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that video. Uh, we got a text from somebody saying there's a little bit of a lag between the video and the audio. If that's the case, I'm sorry. We're testing out this new camera. It could be the camera, could be Facebook, not sure. Hopefully it works out. If the lag is too much, don't look at my face. It'll be better for all of us here. Um, as we look at that video, one of the things I want us to see is that God, it wants us to see is that God is a generous host. And the invitation is to live as if we are at his party in this creation and not in a fight or in a battle. In the, the mindset of the city of man, to go back to when we were looking at Daniel, in the mindset of the city of man, there is never enough. There is not enough, and I need to take care of me and mine. But in the mindset of the kingdom of God, the eternal party has already begun. And we're invited to live now as we will one day in eternity. The biblical story is that of a generous host. We see God providing favor and generosity towards Abraham and then towards the people of Israel, providing for them daily in the wilderness and then allowing them to enter into the kingdom and become the kingdom of God in, in or the kingdom in Israel. We see God's generosity being poured out through Jesus as he is incarnate walking around and bringing that generous host into the land. He is healing the blind and casting out demons, giving them life to the full. And he is um, he's providing food for 5,000 and so much wine that a, that a wedding feast doesn't know what to do with it. It is the generous host anticipating the new creation, the Revelation 21 and 22 that we talked about last week, when all the joy and abundance of God will be fully present. And all of this is born out of God's original intention in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, back in Eden. When we go back to the story of Eden, we get the picture of what God intended. God intended a garden. And for man 
to dwell in that garden, for Adam and Eve and their, their children to dwell in that garden. And the garden was a place of beauty and safety and prosperity. They were supposed to experience life to the full. And God gives them that generous mandate in, in Genesis one twenty eight when he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, he's inviting them to flourishing and, and to success and to prosperity. So this is what your life is supposed to be. Fill the earth, multiply, increase, flourish. And in Genesis 2, verse 9 and 16, he offers them the entire Garden of Eden. And he says, see the beauty that I've made for you. Taste it and enjoy it. I want you to have life to the full and life abundantly. The story of Eden, which was the intention of the story of the garden of, of all of life was God gives, he gives Adam and Eve, he gives them these things and they're simply to receive and enjoy. And as they receive and enjoy the gifts of God, they're trusting God. And so they're entering into a deeper communion with God, with one another, with creation itself, that union of sharedness of the two were naked and unashamed and, and they became one. That oneness and communion with each other, with God, was also supposed to then spill out in fruitfulness. That Adam and Eve were to tend the garden to make it more orderly, more beautiful, and more fruitful. That they were supposed to multiply and fill the earth with their co-creative purposes. They were literally supposed to create new creations, human beings. The act of Sex in a Christian context is this very same description of giving and receiving and enjoying in deeper oneness and communion for the sake of fruitfulness. In Theology of the Body, John Paul II talks about how um, this is actually born out of what God does in the creation act himself. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in eternal loving union. And that eternal loving union is giving and receiving and enjoying in that complete union of oneness, birthing creation. And then God invites us to do the same. We are made in the image of God. We experience the fullness of what it means to be human, to be fully human as we give and receive and enjoy and enter into deeper communion with one another and fruitfulness. But of course, Adam and Eve do not remain in that paradise garden. They lose paradise in Genesis 3. Instead of God giving and Adam and Eve simply receiving and enjoying and entering into deeper communion and fruitfulness, instead, Adam and Eve doubt God. They doubt God, and in doubting God, they desire and take. So think about that. God... The intention is God gives and they receive and enjoy, but instead they doubt and they desire and take for themselves. They doubt that there's enough. They doubt that God is good and trustworthy. They see what they want on their own and they take it for themselves. They're operating from a mindset of scarcity. And what results is not deeper communion and fruitfulness, but what results is alienation. And they're living in fear. And they're doing it for themselves. They each cover themselves, hide themselves, blame the other. Instead of deeper communion and fruitfulness, they're left in isolation and fear and self-protection and alienation. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the generous God 
the generous Savior, and what it looks like to be a generous people, to live by God's grace in a culture of scarcity. You know, that scarcity mindset is the mindset that there is not enough, whatever the it is. It's the opposite of what I'm going to call a Sabbath mindset, the mindset of there is enough and I can rest. When we operate out of a scarcity mindset, what we do is we end up hoarding. And, you know, I think often when you say that word hoarding, you think about some of the TV shows that are doing documentaries on people whose houses are filled with stuff. And you think, okay, I don't do that, although maybe you do. But even aside from whether you hoard stuff, we all have hoarding tendencies. It might not be stuff. It might be our financial resources. It might be approval of people or success at work. It's the, the idea of hoarding comes out of that scarcity. It's, I've got to take care of me and mine because there's probably not enough. And the question is, when we're saving all these things for ourselves, protecting them for ourselves, is it wisdom or fear that's driving us? You know, most often for me, what I think about is I justify my version of hoarding. I think your version is probably totally wrong and God doesn't want you to do it. That's built out of fear, but mine is simply wisdom. I'm just saving money for the future because that's wise. Or um, I'm trying to protect my family by making sure I have all the, the, the food and toilet paper during the pandemic, right? Is it wisdom or fear that's actually motivating me? And I think it's a question we have to wrestle with because it's not always that cut and dry, but it is one that God wants us to ask. And I think that's why I want us to think about the idea of scarcity and hoarding, not just in relation to money, although definitely in relation to our, our financial resources, but even with things like success. Do you think that your success is being threatened by other people's success? Or there's only just enough success to go around? So that you can't rejoice if somebody else is succeeding in something that you also want to succeed in. We can think of a scarcity mindset and hoarding when it comes to status, people's approval, being loved, having power and influence. That scarcity and hoarding mindset is unfolding constantly in our culture today. You know, behind some of those divisions and hostility that we are seeing in a culture that is politically and racially and socioeconomically and religiously divided and hostile, not just we disagree, but it is hostile, it's seeing other people as a threat. It's seeing other groups as a threat. It's feeling like there's not enough and I've got to protect and get my own. That scarcity mindset is the opposite of a Sabbath mindset of resting. Resting in God's goodness and God's faithfulness and trusting his promises that he does love me. He does have the best in mind. He knows what's best for me and my future is secure in him. You know, this concept of the scarcity mindset versus the Sabbath mindset plays out very clearly in the story of manna being provided in the wilderness in Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, Israel is wandering in the wilderness and they don't have food. So what does God do? He provides for them. He provides for them manna, something they have never seen before and could not have expected. But the manna comes daily. It is daily bread and it is enough. Everyone eats to their full. It's not just barely enough. It is enough. They're full, but it's only enough for one day. 
And so they're meant to trust that God is going to provide enough. But some don't trust. They have a scarcity mindset of it won't be here tomorrow and say hoard more. They collect more, but overnight it rots and stinks. Every single time they hoard it, it rots and stinks. That hoarding mindset is one that will rot and stink. The opposite is what God invites them to on the sixth and seventh day. He says there will be no manna on the seventh day, but on the sixth day I'll provide you a double portion, and trust me, it will last. It will not rot. And so what they do is they collect a double portion, make twice as much bread or pasta, on that sixth day so that on the seventh day they can rest. They can rest in God's goodness and faithfulness and see his promises being played out as they worship the God who has been providing for them. So that's what it is. God wants to invite us into daily trust that he has given us enough so that we don't end up hoarding and thinking there's a scarcity of whatever it is we're after and living out of a mindset that can rest, not just on the seventh day, which we should, but every day. The book of Hebrews tells us that in Christ now we live in a Sabbath rest because all that we need, the grace and goodness and love of God, the approval and forgiveness and security of our future have already been secured for us in Christ and we can rest. In other words, the gospel, the gospel should be a resource to enable us to live a Sabbath life mindset in a scarcity culture and to trust the sovereignty and grace of God, to trust that God is in control. And that's what I have to ask myself. Do I really trust that God is in control, that he is sovereign over all things, over all of history, even over whatever is happening in America right now? And do I trust and really want God's purposes in my life? What if that involves suffering or not getting what I want or loss? or not being happy? Do I trust that his purposes are better for me than my own purposes? And that ultimately he is somebody that I can trust. And I think that's why we look to the beginning and the end all the time. When we're looking at good theology, it should be rooted in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and in Revelation 21 and 22. And the story of God as a generous, good host is seen very clearly in Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. It is a story of a creator and his abundant creation in his intention to bring us and all of creation into a restored and renewed new creation. The Garden of Eden as it was meant to be forever. Life eternal, life to the full forever. We live in between people who were born out of a Genesis 1 and 2 intended for a Revelation 21 and 22. And when we see that, we see that that's where we're coming from and that's where we're going, it can enable us to live now, even in times of challenge and suffering and difficulty with incredible grace and generosity towards others. Walter Brueggemann, in that article that I mentioned at the beginning, says this about building our life out of beginnings and endings. What we know about our beginnings and our endings creates a different kind of present tense for us. We can live not driven, controlled, anxious, frantic, or greedy precisely because we are sufficiently at home and at peace to care about others as we have been cared for. When we trust the sovereignty of God and the grace of God,
We believe that true shalom and our eternal future are a gift from God. They're in God's hands. My identity, my worth, my being loved, my success, my flourishing is something I don't have to strive for. I can rest secure in what God has done for me. The story of the Bible invites us to trust God's abundance, that there is enough. You can be full and filled up by God, so be at rest. Do not be fearful or self-protective or striving or anxious about anything. Money, politics, the well-being of your ethnic tribe. Not needing to strive or clamor or fearful for recognition or approval or success or happiness. In other words, to not be people who hoard, but to be generous in every way. The generous series that we're looking at is calling us to live by God's grace, trusting God's grace in a culture of scarcity and hoarding. And the question of the series is, is God a generous host? And will we live from his abundance and grace, receiving the gifts that he offers and enjoying them and living out of that? You know, normally I like to close with a prayer, but instead I'm going to close by reading portions of Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is the psalmist's poem reflecting on Genesis 1. It's a poetry, a meditation on the goodness and abundance of God. So I'm going to read portions of Psalm 104, and then we're going to go to a minute of reflection before we close in a song led by Sabrina. From Psalm 104, just listen as I read. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. God set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with a deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. And the mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You, O Lord, make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, water you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. O Lord, how many are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away your breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. 
May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord.